Jacob's name is changed. And this is very interesting because God is involved in changing us even today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And as we continue studying on through the Bible, remember this is our 32nd year through the Bible and uh, we are doing this again. It is very exciting it to is. see and understand this. That's great. Anyway, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at the tomb of the patriarchs. Ryan? Today, I'm going to be sitting down with Patricia Engler from Answers in Genesis, who's here to talk about her experiences in secular university. Very good. Tomb of the patriarchs. Yes. Really? That's fascinating. I'm going to have to look at that one. We Get ready for that one coming <laughs> up. Janice? Coming empty to be filled. All right, very good. Let's open up the Bible. Let's get our Bible guides out and let's begin to study God's holy word and listen to what he's telling us today. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Genesis 32 to 34. Now, this is amazing because these times are interesting. We are learning from Jacob and we're learning from this time more things about God. Now, God marks the confrontation with Jacob in Genesis 32 with a special word. You see, years earlier, Jacob had successfully taken the birthright of his twin brother, Esau. And so he appropriately is named. Now, Jacob means taking the place of another through scheming. In Genesis 32, Jacob finds himself truly alone. He had been preparing to meet his brother Esau again, 
after many years, and he was afraid of Esau trying to get even with him, and it makes sense. Now, when he didn't know was this, that Esau had already become successful in his own right. In fact, the nation of Edom would descend from him. So trying to soften Esau's heart, Jacob had sent ahead of himself waves of gifts to meet Esau, followed by his wives and then his children. While Jacob waited to follow them, suddenly, one evening, a man confronts him. Now, the Bible tells us that this man was actually gone and that he and Jacob, this is amazing, physically wrestled all night. Now, in the end, Jacob leaves with two things, a permanent limp and the new name. This is absolutely stunning and fascinating. Take your Bible out and let's learn what this means because as we read it, we begin to understand God is talking to us as well. Now, remember, this is important. We are reading chapter 32, verses 22 to 32, because we read verses 1 to 21 last year or the year before. We're going to study on further. It's material we haven't covered before, and let's study it, wrestling with God. We need to pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us learn what this means. We need to understand how God deals with us. Jacob is a stubborn, taking individual. We see this in his life. But Father, you confront him, and he turns into somebody quite different. He is a different man now, and he is a different man than we read later on in chapter 49 and 48 of this book. So help us to learn so that we too can understand how you confront us in our selfishness. In Jesus' name, and we all prayed together, amen and amen. Genesis 32 is fascinating, let me tell you. Let's go to verse 22 and begin to read because it's something it says. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them and he sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, this is fascinating. Let me tell you. You see, God confronts Jacob while he is alone. <laughs> this is amazing. Fighting with God. That's amazing. God meets with us wherever we are, and we are never truly alone. You know, I've never felt since I've come to know the Lord ever that I have been alone. And I've never felt overcrowded by God. And yet I know God is as close as the mention of his name. And even when I just like being alone, sometimes I like just walking in the woods or walking in the field and just enjoying myself. And you know, I call on God and he's right there, but he never crowds me. This is a miracle of the Lord. And Jacob was alone and he's so busy minded and this man confronts him, and this man wrestles with him, striving with him. I find that fascinating. Now let's learn more about what God said, verses 25 to 28. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that man, he, capital H, touched the socket of his hip, 
And the socket of Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and struggled with men, and you have prevailed. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. The renaming of Jacob to Israel is a major turning point in Jacob's life. You see, beloved, when we give our lives to God, he gives us a new name in heaven. I want to tell you something. When we get our new name, it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, God does amazing things. And we need to understand that our destiny changes, a destiny ending up in destruction and burning and fire and everything else. It ends up in eternity. Now, in eternity, God has assignments for us. And eternal life does not begin when we die. Eternal life begins now. So we must pray and ask God to show us how to get our eternal lives straight when we invite him into our life. We say, Lord, become the Lord of my life. I'm going to change my ways to what you want. Not just what I want, but what you want. Then we read the Bible, the word of God, to find out what he wants. Now, 29 to 32 say this. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. <laughs> okay, this, there's a lot going on here. And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun arose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that is in the shank or the shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Isn't that interesting? You see, this comes to the point that we need to understand, and here it is. Jacob met God face to face. He wrestled with the Lord and lived to tell about it. He lived to tell about it. See, our lives are changed forever when we truly encounter God. And when we encounter God, the Lord changes us. Now, I can say to you that there are people like Jacob who are used to taking, getting, and grabbing, and we get upset about it. Why doesn't the court do this and the police do that? And everybody says, so let's defund and they're all in business. That's not the way to handle it. The way to handle that is pray for them. And say, Lord, help those people to understand who you are. Help those people who are doing bad things to realize that you are Lord of their life. And you're Lord of their ministry and you're Lord of their money. Help them, Lord, to know you. Now, that's a very different prayer than getting mad and getting upset about it. We must trust God in everything that happens and everything we do.
You know, our reading today covers Genesis chapter 32 to 34. And there is a lot of death in these chapters. So first, I want to start out by taking a look at the history and even the archaeology, the, the small amount of archaeology that has been done on the tomb of the patriarchs. Take a look. Genesis 23 recounts a land purchase agreement between Abraham and Ephron the Hittite. Their agreement took place at the city gate of Hebron to be witnessed and resulted in Abraham's ownership of a field with a cave in it. This cave served as Abraham's family tomb and became known as the Cave of Machpelah. The Bible records the internment of at least six people here, Sarah and Abraham, Isaac and Rebekah, Leah and Jacob. After these six, it's often assumed closed for burials, as the internments of the sons of Jacob are not recorded, only that of Joseph, whose mummified body was buried at Shechem on land that his father Jacob had purchased. Today, there is a famous site in Hebron that claims to be built on top of the cave of Machpelah. The foundation, walls, and floor of the interior courtyard of this building is believed to be the only fully preserved building of Herod the Great. The construction and design style seem iconically Herodian, and the similarities with Herod's Jerusalem temple are obvious. Herod's structure was a massive roofless enclosure that may not have had an entrance. The ones there today were cut much later. Over the millennia separating Herod from us, various rulers and conquerors have altered and added to the structure of Machpelah, developing legends to go along with it, like it containing the secret passage to the Garden of Eden, being the burial site of almost anyone important, like Adam and Eve, Moses and Zipporah, and more historically plausible, the sons of Jacob along with Esau. Modern research has not been allowed to truly commence here, but underground exploration and modification has occurred in history at least once in the Crusader period. The closest the site came to an archaeological investigation was in 1967. Secretly, a 12-year-old girl was lowered through a small hole armed with a camera and a flashlight. She explored as much as she could, taking measurements and notes. She did not find the bones of the patriarchs, but the internal masonry seemed Herodian and she described large stone slabs. It remains unclear if the slabs were mounted to the wall or if they concealed chambers. So there we go, the Tomb of the Patriarchs. It's very intriguing, you know, it's history of exploration. The minimal amount of exploration that has happened is very intriguing and there's still a lot of unknowns about it. But, you know, I started out this segment by talking about how much death is in our reading today. And I want to talk a little bit about Genesis 34 with the rape of Dinah and then the slaughter of the men of the city of Shechem. Uh, just to give you a little bit of cultural context here. So what we see here is two Two different strategies going on. So Jacob, you know, he has bought land just outside of Shechem and he's trying to find a way to integrate his family into the land of the Canaanites. You know, this is the promised land. He's trying to integrate in there. So he is willing to make a deal. He's willing to kind of cover over this offense and, and make a deal that makes everyone happy. But it, um, the brothers are obviously not willing to do this. The brothers of Dinah, they want to make a statement for everyone around them so that they will have protection. So their, their idea is if we slaughter everyone, then everyone will know you cannot disrespect the family of Israel, the family of Jacob. If you disrespect someone, you know, we'll just come in and wipe you out. So they wanted the family to be feared. So we have two different, you know, political, social 
ideas that are in clash between Jacob and his sons. But of course, his sons, they go overboard. The punishment doesn't fit the crime here. It's a very serious crime, but the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And so Jacob and his sons here are in are in trouble. They're in disagreement with one another. So we're getting insight here into the social political workings of Jacob's family. So that's one way to look at Genesis chapter 34. That's very good. We could talk more on that. I know. We We don't don't have have time, but that's very good. And we should probably talk about that in a podcast in the future. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Well, if you've been watching the program, you know that I've been playing clips of my personal interviews with my friends at Answers in Genesis during our read-through of Genesis for 2022. And when we get into Exodus next week, I will be back to my regular segments. But for now, I want to share with you part of my interview with newcomer Patricia Engler. And if you don't know who she is, then this interview will be a good one to watch. Well, I'm pleased to be sitting here with Patricia Engler. She's a speaker, writer, and youth outreach coordinator for Answers in Genesis Canada. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. Well, I wanted to begin the interview by asking you about how you came into a saving faith in Jesus Christ and how that led you into apologetics and becoming an Answers in Genesis speaker. Yeah, for sure. So I did grow up in a Christian home. My parents were actually missionaries in Canada's Northwest Territories. Mm -hmm. So I came to faith in Christ when I was about four, I'd say. So I grew up knowing Jesus, but I didn't really understand the importance of apologetics at that point. So I cared about things like justice and missions and the church's future and important things like that. But it wasn't until I was 14 and I heard Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis, the founder, give a talk about the importance of Genesis. And I realized that all the things that I cared about, like justice and missions and the church's future, depend on Genesis at a foundational level. So I thought, man, I need to become an apologetic speaker someday so that I can counter the cultural attack on Genesis. That's awesome. Well, what were some of your experiences as a Christian student at Secular University? Yes. So I decided that I needed to go to Secular University to learn about evolution to go into apologetics. But of course, I wanted to figure out how to help other Christian students keep their faith in that setting. And I needed to test drive that on myself. So I went into some classes where the professor, before he even started the class, was like, okay, everybody send out an email. If you can't accept evolution, evolutionary human origins especially, like you should reconsider taking the class. We're just gonna be talking about evolution here. So I still enrolled and went for it, but he was saying things like he didn't believe that Jesus necessarily even existed. And he was just like making fun of creationists saying that even intelligent design is a whacked out tea party movement in his words. So there's that. I had a first year bio professor say that there's not a single piece of evidence against evolution. I had textbooks with entire sections just railing on creationists and even textbooks that trained you how to counter certain creationist arguments in their opinion. So it was very, very intense, very secular, very intentional about training students to think not only like evolutionists, but against creationists. Wow. Well. You know, many other Christians have also entered academia and actually come out believing in some form of evolution. So what was it that helped you to keep your faith in that kind of setting? Yes. So at the end of going through four years of this kind of indoctrination, I realized that there are three foundations that I needed as a Christian student and that I believe all students and youth need to keep their faith in secular education. So the first was just spiritual foundations. So I needed to go in being a Christian in the first place and having faith if I was going to keep faith. 
and having like a close personal walk with Jesus so that when questions came up, it was natural just to bring those challenges to him and to maintain that close personal walk with God throughout university, having biblical literacy, knowing what the Bible says. So that's all the spiritual foundations is super important. And then second was intellectual foundations. So I define that as having some apologetics training, so the defense of the Christian faith, knowing how to defend your worldview and explain not only what the Bible says, but how you know it's true. And also critical thinking skills. So being able to take any sort of information that challenges a biblical worldview and answer it logically and biblically, and basically teaching yourself how to think like an apologist. So that's the intellectual foundations that I needed. And then also finally is the interpersonal foundations, which is like a Christian support network. So godly parents, my, my parents prayed for me all the time for my exams and for my tough classes, hostile classes, and then peer groups. So plugging into a campus ministry, that's also very solid. And you can remind yourself that you're not alone in your beliefs. And then having mentors who are older than you is super important, who can pour into your life and they have that life experience and then consistently attending the local church. So spiritual, intellectual, and interpersonal foundations, those I believe were key to helping me keep my faith in that sense. Now, Patricia will be back with us tomorrow, but until then, remember that all the interviews you've been watching are available in full on this set called A World by Design, the Niagara Conference. Also be sure to check out the Answers in Genesis website at AnswersInGenesis.org. That's AnswersInGenesis.org. It's a great website, AnswersInGenesis.org. Also, the videos are available at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Janice? Yes. Well, at the top of the program, I said my segment today is called Coming Empty to be Filled. And as everyone else was talking, I glanced down at my paper again, and the other title that I had for it was Just As I Am. Now, what could I mean in this chapter, Genesis chapter 32, in the section where Jacob wrestles with God all night. And at the end of this night, God changes Jacob's name. And it's, it's, a, it's a real shift in Jacob's life. But what I want to look at is the place. It says he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. I looked up the word Jabbok. In Smith's Bible Dictionary, Jabbok means emptying. I also found that the Hebrew name Jabbok is derived either from the root meaning to empty itself or from a sound imitating the noise of water flowing over pebbles. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That Jacob was left alone, empty. And this is Jacob confronting God. And it's much the same in our lives. When we come to God, we have to wrestle with the idea of is God who he says he is, or is he not? Is Jesus Christ who he said he is, or is he not? And those are the decisions that we have to come to. Nicodemus met with Jesus one night to talk about that with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. We have to do the same. And when we come to him, we have to come, and if we decide that he is who he says he is, we need to ask his forgiveness, and we need to empty out our hearts so that Jesus can pour himself in. 
and we are left alone with God because it's a personal decision. It's a personal choice to follow God. We're not just a Christian because our mom and dads were Christians or our grandparents were Christians. Now they set the example and live their lives in front of us. But each one of us, when we get to that age of accountability, when we know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, we can make that decision. And we come to the Lord Jesus Christ just as we are. We come and we empty out ourselves and we say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you can be my teacher, so that you can be my guide, so that you can teach me through your word and through time in prayer how to set my heart right, how to set my thinking right. And, and isn't that kind of an example of what Jacob did with God that night? He wrestled back and forth. And there are things that sometimes feel like a wrestling mm-hmm. when we do give our hearts to the Lord Jesus. There's things that we think that, we, that we've done, well, our family has done it that way, or that's the way we've reacted for generations. And yet we find out that that's not the way God wants. And we have to wrestle that and we have to let it go. We have to let God take that so that we empty ourselves so that God can fill us up with his spirit so we can follow after him. Isn't that the hardest thing <laughs> for us to do? This, this, and my other son is in the control room, but this is an extension of our dinner table. And that's hard. We understand that if we've given our lives to God, we've got to follow what he says and not do what we want to do. Now, everybody in this world is like, do what you want to do, make your decision and do what you want to do. But wait, 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 wait. No, God says, do what I've called you to do. And that's how you will be successful. Very, very important to learn that. So, Father, help us to learn that today. In Jesus' name, amen. the end of the program today, just a reminder, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern Time. We are live on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. Join us and we will pray for you. But today we're going to pray this prayer. Say this, Lord, help me to hear what I read in the Bible today. And as I pray, teach me your way and show me your path. 